All right, imagine with me, you're in your car driving, not in the passenger seat, not in the back seat, but you're actually driving. And as you're driving, as good drivers do, you take a good look around for your surroundings and you see up ahead, not terribly far ahead, but, but still pretty visible, you see a traffic light up ahead. So you're coming up to an intersection. You notice the light is green, you keep driving, no big deal. As you get a little bit closer, you notice something has now changed on that said traffic light. It has now gone from green to yellow. And here's my question. What do you do? That's what I thought. So here, look to your neighbor and tell him what do you do? Are you a press the gas and speed up and get through the yellow light? Or are you a off the gas, even hit the brake, slow down? Tell your, tell your neighbor, tell somebody next to you, speed up or slow down when you see the yellow light. All right, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Where's all my speed up people? Yellow light equals speed up. Wow. So there has to be something. This is a side thing. There has to be something that when you take a 930 church service crowd versus an 11 church service crowd, I think there's something about personalities there. Y'all drive a lot differently than the 930 crowd. I'm just saying. All right, so real quick, one more time. Where's my speed up? Yellow equals speed up. All right. Yellow equals slow down, all seven of us, okay. <laughs> so I will admit, and my family will say this as well, I am hands down a slow down the moment I see a yellow light, to the point where it drives my kids and my wife absolutely crazy. We'll be driving, I'll see a yellow light, and it might even be quite a ways away, it might even be like right there, doesn't matter, I see the yellow light and I'm immediately breaks to the point where my eight-year-old in the back starts complaining. And Connor says, Dad, you totally could have made it. And I'm like, you're eight. Who do you drive? What does your mom drive like when she's in here? <laughs> That's the real question, isn't it? Becky and I are opposites on that. Like, it drives her nuts. She's like, oh, you can make it. Just go, go, go. She'll even see the yellow light. I won't even start to slow down. And she'll say, no, 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 no. Keep going, keep going. And I'm like, no. So let me just say this for my fellow slow down people that take your life and your family's life into consideration, that care about the livelihood of others, thank you. But that yellow light, it means something, doesn't it? That yellow light tells you something's about to happen, something's about to change. In fact, the traffic light does not go from green to red. It's not green, everything's good, all the way to red. No, there's green, you're good, to uh-oh, something's about to happen. Caution, in fact, is, is used in a lot of signs and, and, and places in our culture. Yellow means caution. It means pay attention. It means stay alert. It means these two words, watch out. Watch out. Something's about to change. Something's about to happen. That light is about to turn red. That yellow is saying to you, get ready. Watch out. Something's about to happen. Something's about to change. And now it did. And then it goes to red. It tells us to watch out. There's a yellow light, as I would call it, within Scripture, a lot of them. One of them is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what we're told. Stay alert. And here are these two words. Say them with me. Watch out. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. First part of verse 9. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. The next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on this, how to stand firm 
against the devil and to be strong in our faith. It might sound like an odd thing to talk about as we kick off summer and have snow cones today. <laughs> but here's why. Here's my heart behind it. Is summer is a great time, and you should do this. Becky and my family and I, we did this last week. We got away. We rested. We relaxed. We just breathed together. Summer has a great opportunity for us to, in some ways, slow down just a little bit. Or we should slow down just a little bit. But as great as summer is to do just that, you know what we should not do is let our guard down. So by all means, we should relax, we should refresh, we should slow down, enjoy some time away and with our friends and family, but we should not let our guard down. In fact, we are told to stay alert, to watch out, to keep our guard up because of our great enemy, the devil. And he roams around like a roaring lion looking to devour you and looking to devour me. And so what do we do with that? We are to stand firm in our faith, to stay strong in God. That's what we're called to do, to stand firm. So what we're going to do today and over the next several weeks is we're going to look at what to watch out for so that we can stand firm. If you were standing in the ocean facing the shore back to the ocean where the waves are coming and you get hit by a wave, chances are good you'll fall over because you didn't see it coming. But if we can stay alert and if we can watch out and we turn around and we're facing the ocean and we, we see and we know what to look for when it's coming at us, we can better prepare and better stand firm for what is coming at us. That's the goal here, to pay attention, to keep our guard up and to pay attention to what is coming at us so that we can stand firm in our faith and stay strong in God. So how are we going to do that? We're going to look at who the devil is and what he does, how he works, the attacks that he throws at us so that we can be able to not just know about it and see it coming, but know how to stand firm. Best way to do that is to look in scripture and see what the devil is called, the different names. He's known as the devil. He's known as Satan, the adversary. He's known even as Lucifer. And keep in mind, the devil is not a, a force or just an idea of evil. The devil is an angelic being that rebelled against God, and no, he does not have on a red suit and pitchfork, just the idea that comes to mind for us usually. An angelic being that was created by God, given free choice, just like we've been given free choice, and chose to rebel against God. He's also known within scripture as being called the liar or the deceiver. He's known as the tempter. He's known as the destroyer. Those three specifically, we're going to look at because how, how he's described gives us insight in how he works. So for example, Jesus' words, John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this about the devil. He says this, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we're going to look at the liar this morning. If we can pay attention to his lies and how he works, we can watch out for them, but then we can also see how to stand firm in our faith against him. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 for the most part of the morning. And as we go through this story, pretty familiar passage if you grew up in church. It's the part of creation story, but it's when Adam and Eve are deceived by the liar and by the deceiver. And what I want you to pay attention to is how the devil lies. Because again, that's what we're called to watch out for. Pay attention, stay alert, see if you can pull out the lies and how he lies 
early on in creation. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let's see the liar in action. The serpent, it's talking about the devil, was the shrewdest of all of the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2, this is Eve's response. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, pay attention to what's happened so far. Here, the devil in the form of a serpent begins a dialogue with Eve and says, did God really say that? Is that true of you can't eat of any of this fruit, all this great creation, you can't touch it, you can't eat any of this? And Eve responds back like, no, 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 that's not true. We can eat from anything, just not this one in the middle. And then notice, she actually quotes God. God said, you must not eat from it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So she knows the truth. She quotes the truth of God to the liar. But notice what he does back. The deceiver is sly and crafty. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Did you catch the lie there? Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw the tree and saw that it was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And if you keep reading through the rest of the story, you'll notice that not only did sin enter the world for the very first time on earth and then creation, but it separated us from God, separated Adam and Eve and all of mankind from God, which also came about our need for a savior. So right here in chapter three of Genesis, beginning of time as we know it, not only were we created, but then sin entered the world and our need for a savior. So right here is when the plan for Jesus came into play. And that's where we needed a savior. So what do we watch out for? Like notice here, here's the liar. Here's his his plan and his attack of deception. And what I want you to notice is the lies that he was saying back then are the same lies as today. The liar that was for Adam and Eve in the garden is the same liar and the same deceiver that we have as our enemy today and the same enemy that the early church had, which we read about in the New Testament. So I want us to pay attention to how the deceiver works, his toolbox of lies, so to speak. So here's what to watch out for, and then we're gonna talk about them. Doubt deception, and desires. Watch out for those three things. The toolbox of the deceiver. Doubt, deception, and desire. Let's talk through them. Notice the first part, doubt. He comes to Eve and he says, did God really say that? Seems like an innocent question, doesn't it? But notice what the deceiver is doing. He's not asking an innocent question. He's questioning God. In fact, he's questioning God's word. Did God really say that? Is that true? Did God really say you can't eat from anything? Like all this greatness, all this goodness and all of creation. Did God really say you can't have any of it? And then how she responds is very telling. Remember, she quoted God. No, 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 that's not exactly true. That's not right. We can't eat from anything, just not the one in the middle. God said, here's what happens. We would die. 
but doubt. He began, he begins to sow seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? Is that really true? Is that what he meant? And I hear those lies today still. Did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? Is he withholding something from you? Like, you can't do any of this stuff? Like, is he withholding some of his goodness? Oh, now we're beginning to doubt not just God's word. We're beginning to doubt the goodness of God. Do you see what the devil is doing? Doubt. Then it goes into deception. This is the full-on lie. Where remember, Eve responded back, no, 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 that's not, the, that's not what happened. Like, we're allowed to do all this, but just not here, and God said this. Then the deceiver says, you won't die. No, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. And here's what he does in his deception, his lies. He twists God's word. No, no, no. Like, did, did God mean that you would physically die? You eat the fruit and you drop down physically dead. No, you won't die, he says. Now, God's talking about a different kind of death. The devil's like, no. In fact, you won't die. Your eyes will be opened. You're going to experience life in a way that you've never experienced it before. You're going to see things like you've never seen it before. The same deceit that he presented before, before Eve in the garden is the same deceit we still hear today. Does this sound familiar? No, no, no. That's not what he meant. The twisting of God's word. No, that's, that was written a long time ago. I'm, I'm sure times have changed. It's different. He just wants you to be happy. A twisting of God's word, the deceit, the deception, which leads into the deceiver leveraging our desires. Notice some of the language that is used here. After this lie, now keep in mind, the liar is not going to present a lie that is an ugly lie. No, he presents a lie that is appealing, that is desirable, like that we would want to have. So he's painting a picture of a lie that is pretty beautiful to us, which causes, verse 6, the woman was convinced. Here's what convinced means. A trade has happened. She's convinced that what she wants is better than the truth that God has given her. That's the trade. God had given her the truth. Now she was presented with a lie, and she chose the desires and the lie over the truth of God. Now, again, notice this language. She was convinced the fruit, she saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom. All of those are words of desire. I want, and I think, and I feel, and it's all about the I. And so Satan is able to deceive in such a way and paint a picture of a lie that is not only appealing, but it ties to her and our desires. We hear those same things today still. It's the same toolbox of the deceiver. Well, it's whatever you want. And yes, focus on you. You deserve this. Follow your heart. Follow your feelings. It's your life. You're in control of what you want to do. The deceiver is crafty and sly. Doubt. Did God really say that? Questioning the word of God and questioning the goodness of God. The deception, the lie, that's not what he meant. That's not true. And then all the way to the full-on desire. Well, this is what you want. This life is going to be so much better. And it's easy for us to be 
convinced. So that's what we watch out for. That's the toolbox of the deceiver, doubt, deception, as well as leveraging our desires. So how do we stand firm? Like we have to have that part of the equation. So far, this is like the worst sermon ever. You're like, whoa, this is heavy for June. (laughs) But there's this other side, right? Of yes, watch out. Remember what first Peter told us? Stay alert. Watch out for this. Watch out for these things. Watch out for the doubt, the deception, and the and your desires. But stand firm in your faith and be strong in the Lord. So, how do we do just that? That's what we're gonna look at next. And to do that, we actually need to go towards the end of the New Testament. And here's why. So, all the way from Genesis, all the way through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all the way to today, the deceiver is still aligned and still using doubt and deception and our desires. So much so that the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to a lot of these early church leaders and early churches, he's actually helping them grapple with this pandemic of lies. Of, I don't know how to handle this, and people are believing this, and people are saying that, and we don't know what's true, and we don't know what to do. That's the problem that the early church is facing. And the Apostle Paul writes to many of these early churches and leaders to help them address it. So if you go to Titus, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Titus. You might not have even heard of Titus. It's fantastic. It's a great book. You're a great letter. You ought to read it. It's only three chapters. You can get through it pretty quick. Titus chapter 1 will actually tell you, if you want to read on your own this week, will actually tell you what's happening in Crete, the island of Crete. This man, Titus, a young, we would call him a young pastor, young church leader, he is leading this church and trying to tell the, the island of Crete about Jesus, but this whole area is just full of lies and people are being deceived and that nobody knows what's true anymore. Read about that. It's very clear in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, Paul tells Titus, so here's what you do. I understand the situation you're in. Trust me, I've heard everything about it. These are the same lies that we've been dealing with since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve in the garden. So here's what you can do. And this is what's going to help us tremendously because the lies have not changed. And how we stand firm has not changed either. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul telling Titus, here's how you stand firm and help people know the truth. Here's what we do, verse 12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Look, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Say those with me. We're going to say those three. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. If you go on in verse 13, while we look forward with hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So he tells Titus, Titus, here's how you approach the deceiver. Here's how you stand firm with the truth. You do it with wisdom. You do it with righteousness and devotion to God, all the while keeping your sight set on on the hope that you have in Jesus. Keeping your hope set on the victory you already know we have in Jesus. So if we watch out for the doubt, deception, and desires. We stand firm in our faith with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So let's talk through those three, just like we talked through doubt, deception, and desires. Let's talk through wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God to make sure we're on the same page on how that helps us stand firm. Wisdom. Wisdom, first of all, know that there's a difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Those are very different things. But the godly wisdom we read about in scripture tells us it's not just the knowledge of what to do and knowledge of the truth. Eve had the knowledge of the truth. She quoted the truth of God. It's not just the knowledge of it. It's also the application of it. And it's not to understand. It's to seek to understand 
Very big difference. Let me help you understand. I am not going to fully understand God. If I could, he would not be much of a God. Agreed? He is way above me. Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Of course, I'm not going to understand all the things and ways and thoughts of God. So I'm not going to understand, but I am going to seek to understand. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to try. I'm going to listen. That's wisdom. And then the application of it. So it's the knowledge and seeking understanding of the truth, but making sure that we also apply it. What I'm hoping for is, as you're listening through this, that one of these is going to jump off the page for you. That as you're dealing with your own attacks from the devil and the deceiver, that one of these is going to be like, ooh, this is where I need to lean in. Wisdom, righteousness, or devotion to God. If this one is you, wisdom, like, ah, I just need some wisdom, Proverbs is your book. Be in Proverbs this whole summer. In fact, let me read a couple of them from, a couple of Proverbs for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So wisdom says, I'm trusting God, not myself. Wisdom says, I understand that God's ways are so much higher, so I'm going to pursue him, trust him, follow him, instead of assuming I know what's best and I know the right thing to do. That's what wisdom says, godly wisdom. Now, that last part is super important. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't miss that. Because so often we love to take that job as our own. Well, I'm going to determine my path. I'm going to determine which way I'm going to go. I'm going to determine what I can do. Proverbs speaks to that again, verse 14. Actually says it again in, verse, in chapter 16. We'll look at chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That's what we call a sobering passage. There's a way that appears to be right. A way that feels right, a way that seems right, a way that everybody else thinks is right, but in the end leads to death. So wisdom says, if there's a possibility, a probability, that I can be deceived on which way to go, I'm not going to rely on my own wisdom, but on the wisdom of God. That's what godly wisdom looks like, and that's how we stand firm in him. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust your ways. I'm going to seek your will. Because if left up to me, I'm going to probably do whatever I want to do, and chances are good it will lead to death. So that's wisdom. Let's talk righteousness. This is one of those Christian churchy words that uh, nobody really knows what it means. So let me help you understand what righteousness or righteously means. It means the first part of the word, right. Righteousness is right living according to God's truth. That's righteousness. So anytime you see righteousness in scripture, it's talking about doing the right thing according to what God deems as right. We as creation do not have the right to choose our right and wrong. That's the job of the creator, right? And here's how I look at this. And oftentimes I get this question multiple times. Well, I'm trying to make this decision in life and which one's right and which one's wrong and what should I do and what does God want me to do? And before I go into any like potential trying to help somebody answer that, I, hit a time, I call a timeout and say this. Before we have any further discussion, can we agree that we trust the creator? Can we trust that the creator knows best? Right? You know, if you have a, have a board, a piece of wood, and if you run your hand against the grain, chances are good you're going to get a what? A splinter, because you're going against the grain. And God is pleading with us, 
I've created the world. I know what's best. Stop trying to go against what I'm calling you to. Righteousness, righteous living would be going with the grain of God, falling in line with his words and his will and what he calls. That's righteousness. That would be living rightly according to God's word. Can we say, I trust the creator because he's the one that created And I trust that the creator knows best. Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. We talked a lot about that last month, if you were here with kingdom-minded. We said we're supposed to focus on the things of God, not the things of this earth. We are to keep our thoughts fixed on the realities of heaven, not the things of this earth. For this reason... Jesus is reiterating that. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Don't miss the last part. And live righteously. Live rightly according to God's word. And he will give you everything you need. Now, be careful not to pull that out of context. If you read through chapter 6, and in fact, even the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, you'll understand why Jesus said this when he did. In this part, Jesus had just talked all about all the worries we have about this world and worries about finances and worry about clothing and worries about this. And, and Jesus is saying, look, stop worrying about everything. If you will keep your hearts and eyes and thoughts focused on God and live the way that he's calling you to live, I've got you. That's his point. Is he saying there's never going to be any problems? Of course not. That everything's going to be easy? Of course not. He's saying, if you will focus on me and live, go with the grain of God, so to speak, then I've got you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. You don't have anything that you need to worry about because I've got you. That's righteousness, living rightly according to God's word. Devotion to God. What does it mean to be devoted? There's a phrase that says, attention is the beginning of devotion, and I completely agree. What we give our attention to gives great insight over time of what we will be devoted to. Now, here's where the deceiver works really, really well and is super crafty. If he can steal your attention, what does he have eventually? Your what? Devotion. If he can get your attention, and and don't mishear me, he's not trying to get you just to look at him. He's trying to get you to look at anything other than God. He's happy with anything that keeps your attention off of God. So if he can pull your attention, if he can steal some of your attention, if he can pull some of your attention away from God, then eventually he will also have your devotion pulled away from God. If he pulls you away from the truth, he pulls you away from God. If he pulls you away from your attention to God, he'll eventually get your devotion somewhere else. So devotion is about our attention, or at least that's a good place to start. It's a good way to evaluate. What am I devoted to? Let's focus on our attention. And I think this is where a lot of those lies have seeped into not just our culture, but, man, into our desires even. And we don't always know it because he's so crafty. So let me show you this. This is, if you were to Google inspirational quotes, here's a couple things that'll pose. You probably have either seen these on maybe a Pinterest board, maybe on your own Instagram or on somebody's Instagram, but these are pretty well known in some form or fashion. If you Google something along the lines of inspirational quotes, motivational quotes, here's a couple. Here's the first one. Devote yourself to an idea. Wait, hang on. I got to say this as a motivational speaker. Devote yourself to an idea. That sounded better, didn't it? Go make it happen. Struggle on it. Overcome your fears. Smile. And don't you forget, this is your dream. 
Eh, not bad, right? So it's super inspiring, super motivating, completely wrong. <laughs> like, let's look at it a little bit closer. First of all, devote yourself to what? An idea? Oh, is that pulling my attention away from God? Absolutely. Any idea I have that's not based in God's will for my life is stealing my attention and my devotion away from him. But here I'm inspired to devote myself to anything other than God, to any kind of an idea. And I'm going to make it happen on my own. I'm going to struggle and I'm going to overcome my fears. It's all on me. I'm going to smile along the way and I'm never going to forget that this is my dream. Oh, my dream. Man, listen to all the eyes and all the me's and all the self-focus. It's all about me and what I want and what I want to make happen. It's not about God's will for your life and God's dreams and hopes for you. This becomes all about me. Here's another one. This one that has to do with success. I know the price to success. Dedication, hard work, and unremitting devotion to the things you want to see happen. That sounds like a phenomenal work ethic. If you're a boss and you're interviewing an employee and you ask them about their work ethic and they tell you that, you're like, this is awesome. You're going you're gonna to be successful. You're going to get things done. I couldn't ask for a better worker. It's a great work ethic. But is that the success that we are talking about? Side note. The, the individual that is responsible for this quote has, and has done tremendous things in the workforce um, actually has been divorced and married three different times. So I don't think it's the same success that we're talking about here, but that's inspiring. It almost sounds like this should be something that would be posted on your, your wall at work. Like, here's what we're going to be about. Dedication and hard work and unremitting devotion. Look at it again to the things you want to see happen. Is that stealing our attention away? Is it making it all about me and what I want? Are you hearing any of the doubts, deceit, deception, or desires? Here's what you probably won't see on an inspirational board. Here's probably an Instagram post you won't see that sounds very motivating. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not nearly as inspirational, is it? That doesn't need to go anywhere that people will see or be reminded of that daily. But isn't that how we're supposed to wake up every day? That all the things of me are crucified with Christ, and I live by the Spirit, which means it's whatever He calls me to today. It's not what I want, it's what he wants. It's not my will, it's his will. So the devil is very crafty, he's very sneaky. He is the liar, he's a deceiver. And the toolbox of his lies include doubts. Did God really say that? Are you sure? The deception, that's not what he meant. You're not really going to die. In fact, God's keeping things from you. Begin to question the goodness of God. You begin to question the word of God all the way to then leveraging our desires or things like I want and I feel and I think. So if that's what we watch out for, we stand firm to what? We stand firm in our faith through wisdom, knowing the truth of God and pursuing God's word. We stand firm with wisdom, but also righteousness, choosing to live rightly according to him, not me. Trusting the creator, 
knows better than the creation. And we remain devoted to God, that our attention, our thoughts, our minds, our eyes, and our hearts are focused on him. It'll be seven years that we moved out um, to Georgia this summer, actually. Uh, Becky, my family, and I, we moved from California to Georgia in 2014, the summer of 2014. And we came out, and we, we launched the church, and uh, people, great people was like, man, you've got to get away, and there's this great place in Helen. Like, you'll love it. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It'll be a great time to just breathe. So we did that. After we got the church started, we took our family. At that time, it was just me, Becky, and our oldest, Connor. So we went up to a cabin in Helen. And it was gorgeous. It was just beautiful. Like my son had never seen trees before since he was born in California. So like he saw trees. It was awesome. And so we pulled up to the cabin and we were unpacking everything. So we got everything in the cabin and, and Connor was out front and he was making his way to what would be like the side. So picture this with me. We're in the driveway. Becky's in the cabin getting stuff situated. I'm unloading the van. The cabin's here, and then there's this grassy area, like a side yard that goes to the backyard. And again, trees everywhere, a little bit of a hill, and then it goes back down an area where he could play. So I'm here. I got my eyes on him, and I'm getting things unloaded, and he starts walking to the back of the yard. And he's probably about as far as from where I am to the very back of this room. And he gets to that point, I happen to just pull a bag out, and I see him, and I immediately say, Connor, stop! And he just stopped. And I froze as he froze because not probably but 10 feet to 15 feet behind him, I see these ears pop up. Not just one set of ears, I see multiple sets of ears belonging to a mama bear and her cubs. Dude. So I said, Carter, stop! And then something came in me that was a mix of Jackie Chan and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> And I don't know what I was going to do, but I was going to do something. Because I saw my firstborn, I saw my son closer to bears than he was to me. So after I told him to stop, I start slowly moving towards him. And I say, Connor, walk this way. And he's like freaked out. I was like, my dad's never said this to me before. And as he's walking this way, I keep walking forward because I'm like, don't do it, mama bear. Um, I'm a daddy bear. I don't know what's about to happen here. And I feel like you're probably going to win, but I'm going to go down fighting. It ain't going to end like this. I got paint on my face. It was a brave heart moment. <laughs> and as I start walking forward, Connor finally gets over to the side of the house and Becky kind of hears what's going on. She starts walking out of the cabin. She looks at me and look and, and she can't see the bears, but I'm focused right here. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, there's bears in the backyard. Her eyes got huge. <laughs> so she gets Connor inside. I slowly get up, start moving over. We get in the house. We lock all the doors. We shut all the windows because I don't know how bears get in a place where we're going to make sure they don't get in. <laughs> we go around to the back of the cabin. There's a kitchen, just like glass everywhere. And we get to the back glass and we're able to look down and see Mama Bear and all of her cubs. No, 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 no. You... <laughs> Hang on a second. Mama bear about mauled my boy. And you're like, oh, no. I know, kind of cute when they're not in front of me and my kids. I say that because when someone you love is in danger, something happens in you. We have a great enemy that is very real. 
that is a deceiver and is a liar and is doing everything he possibly can to pull you away from your heavenly father. We are in a fight and I want you to be willing to fight for your family to fight for your relationship with God. Yes, we watch out for the deceivers, his doubts that he puts in our hearts and minds, for the deception that he so eloquently paints a beautiful picture in front of us and how he leverages our desires. But we fight back and we stand firm on the truth of God. We stand firm in wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. And I want you to protect you. I want you to protect your family. What would you do if an enemy came after you and your kids and after you and your spouse and you and your family and you and your friends? We would fight back. Now, please don't take, mishear me. This isn't a call to arms and go grab your pitchforks and run around. I'm talking about your personal faith in your home. That's what I'm talking about. When Paul wrote to Titus, he said, this is for the people around you. This summer, I have no doubt, the attacks will continue in your, in your family and in your life. But don't forget who the enemy truly is. Ephesians chapter 6 is very clear. Put on God's full armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's who our enemy is. So when you start arguing with your spouse, your spouse isn't your enemy. That's the deceiver putting lies in front of you. When your kids drive you nuts because they're home from school all summer, don't allow the, the enemy to get a foothold in how you treat them and how you talk to them and steal your patience and steal your attention. When something frustrates you, would you be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry? We're going to talk a lot about how we can continue to not just stand firm, but how we approach our own lives and our own family based on the truth of God this month. So let me give you two ways that you can begin to apply this, right? We have the, the doubts, deception, and desires that we watch out for. We know that we lean into wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So how do we begin to do that? If you follow me on social media, if you follow a local church or you get our emails, you know that I've been asking that you would bring your Bible with you for this Sunday. The reason why is because this is, a, this is how we fight back. If you keep reading in Ephesians 6, we're told that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So I'm asking that you would for the next month, this series, all of June, would you bring your Bible with you? There's something about having it in front of you, being able to read it in context. There's parts that I read that I don't read everything else, but this gives you a place to dive in and use what God has given you. Now, if you don't like the whole paper version, that's totally okay. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Here's the, here's the website right here, YouVersion.com. Do it right now. Get the YouVersion Bible app so that you can continue to read along and follow along and be in God's word so we can pursue wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. If either of those ideas aren't appealing, maybe you don't have or don't want to bring yours, um, you don't want to do the, the you version, I'm trying to take away all of your excuses. I have a bunch of Bibles right here. Take them all. I will make sure every single Sunday, starting today, we will have enough Bibles for anybody that wants one. 
So if you don't have a Bible you can understand, you don't know where yours is at, no judgment whatsoever. Come and grab one. If I run out today, I'll have more next week. Make sure you have a Bible or get it on your app. And this month, would you commit to bringing your Bible with you so that it's not just, hey, I'm going to listen to Pastor Brian talk about something, but we're going to open up God's Word together and say, what is God speaking to me about? Can you do that? Would you give me some nods this month? It's only a month. Bring your Bible once a month. Maybe you'll like it and you'll do it next month. Who knows? Here's the second thing I would tell you, and this is why we're doing snow cones today, believe it or not. There's something about community. Do you notice that when the deceiver was having a dialogue, he had a dialogue with Eve and not Adam? In other words, she was alone. Please don't try to fight this battle alone. We gather together to worship together, to study God's word together, but also to, to fight alongside of one another, metaphorically speaking. So when you're in community with one another, there's power there. There's power there. So we're intentionally not doing a fourth song today so that we can have a little bit more time eating snow cones together and laughing together and having a great time together instead of running off to all the other things that we have to do today. But on your own this week, where do you need to lean in? In wisdom, in righteousness, or in devotion to God? Where is your attention? And let's stand firm in our faith against the deceiver. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together. Thank you for the word that you give us through, through the Bible, and I pray that the truth that you give us, we never trade. That even when the doubts and the deception and our desires might, might seem more appealing, I pray we will never trade a lie for your truth. So may we stand firm in our faith. May we stand firm on the truth that only comes from you. And may we protect our family. May we be willing to fight the fight of faith, starting in my own heart and in my own home and in our church. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you move. And may we constantly keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.